message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. All right, good morning, family. Hope everybody's doing well today. It is a Super Bowl Sunday. That means a lot to some of you. It means nothing to some others of you. On the count of three, shout out the team you're going for. One, two, three. Couldn't hear that. One more time. <clears throat> One, two, three. Okay. Some of you are saying teams that are not even in the Super Bowl, okay? So, uh, okay. I know there's a lot of animosity this time of the year when your team doesn't make it, um, but hopefully uh, it's going to be a good Super Bowl. You know, what's cool about the Super Bowl is um, these guys playing in the game, uh, they started when they were little kids, a lot of them. They were playing little peewee football and then like maybe, you know, some flag football when they're little and then peewee tackle and then they're playing in middle school and, and high school and some of them had the opportunity to play in college and a lot of others didn't. And then only the best of the best, less than 1% of these college players <clears throat> getting into the NFL, even less than that. And these guys get a shot in the NFL and sometimes they get cut. But then maybe you get on a team, and then hopefully, if you're good enough, you actually get to be a starter. Very few people, very elite crew of athletes that get to to be a starter on a team. And then for your team to have synergy, to keep it together, to to, to work together good enough uh, that you can actually beat other teams and play at this time of the year is is pretty awesome. Uh, At the same time, I will say that um, what's going to matter in 100 years and uh, in a year or two from now, you might not even remember who was in the Super Bowl or who won it. But one thing I want to acknowledge about football, I personally love football. It's my favorite sport. Uh, my team's not in it. So I guess you got to go for the underdog. So I'm going to say go Eagles right now. Okay, go Eagles. Um, by the way, the Eagles quarterback who played all year, starting quarterback, uh, on fire believer, on fire believer, leading his team. They're baptizing people in the pool at the hotel before a football game on Sunday, which is pretty epic. He went out injured uh, a month ago, and the other guy, the, the other guy they have who's leading today for the last few weeks, has come in out of retirement. Um, and he, on his heart, he was going to seminary because he wants to be a pastor and he wants to minister to youth. And he's in the Super Bowl today. So let's pray for him, right? He's going to give God the glory. But, but I realize there's some things in common about football and our Christian faith and and in football, it's a contact sport. It's a contact sport. Some sports are not contact. I mean, full contact. Football is a contact sport. And that means when you go into a football game, you better be ready for contact. In other words, if you play football video games and you think you know how to play the game and you stepped on the field and took a shot, you would be stunned and you'd be like, ouch, that hurt. I wasn't ready for that. <clears throat> but if you realize it's a contact sport and you prepare for a contact support, you will succeed in a contact sport. And the Christian faith, the Christian faith sometimes is done from the, the video game. Like we, we read, but we don't step out onto the field. And if we don't step out onto the field, we don't even know what we're going to encounter and how to deal with things. And the problem with that is when we do encounter something rough, some, sign of co- some sort of contact, spiritually speaking, some sort of conflict, some sort of contact, something that's disruptive, if you're not really rooted in the words of Jesus and what he says and the full counsel of God's word, then you don't know how to deal with some of these trials, with some of these problems, with some of these 
setbacks. And um, that's the beautiful thing about God's word is when you go through the word, you can pick little topics here and there and there's, there's a place for that. But when you just start going through the word, all kinds of stuff comes up. And today's passage um, isn't the three steps on how to be the happiest person on your block. Um, today's passage is when there's contact, how you succeed and be victorious. And Jesus has some pretty real and brutally honest stuff to say, and this is simply where we're at. You can turn your Bibles there, Matthew chapter 10. We're picking up where we left off uh, last week. Um, But sometimes when we're pursuing any kind of spiritual victory, just like a football game, sometimes there's pushback. Sometimes the offensive line is moving, and sometimes it gets pushed back. And, And so we know ultimately we might not win every battle, but we do know we win the war, Amen. You guys know we win the war. I read it. It's in the back of the book. If you want to skip ahead and get there, we win the war. And that's the beautiful thing, even though sometimes we lose some, some yards from time to time and we get some pushback. And uh, in the gospel that Jesus is sharing today, he says in the, in the early church and in any church, the believers today around the world, um, he, he, he's telling them specifically the pushback might come in a lot of various forms. It might come in a level of hostility sometimes because not everybody is in love with Jesus. Not everybody loves you if you love Jesus. Not everybody uh, wants to endorse you. In fact, they might oppose you just as they opposed him. And he's telling us some brutally honest stuff. And he tells them that they might even be arrested. They might even be arrested for the cause of Christ. Now, I did a lot of prison ministry for a lot of years, and I've been into all these different institutions and uh, you know, penitentiaries for men, for women, county jails, youth facilities, um, and I've engaged a lot of people in jail and talked to them about their situation, and I've pretty much talked to people that were arrested for everything under the sun, everything you can imagine. But the one thing I haven't encountered is somebody who was arrested for their faith. I have not met anyone in jail who was arrested for their faith in Jesus Christ. And that's typically the case here in America. But that's not the case in other places around the world. Not, not even at all. Um, in some places, in fact, we have a graphic for the screen up here. Um, the, study for the, um, the Center for the Study of Global Christianity and they monitor persecution reports around the world. Uh, they say that approximately 215 million Christians experience high to very high levels of persecution And an average of about 90,000 Christians are actually martyred for their faith every year. We don't see that here, but it's going on around the globe. So when Jesus is talking about a message like this to the believers, he's like, this is for you guys, it's for the church. You might be in a different area or location or season where you don't see this kind of persecution, but this has been true historically of the church, of believers. And when we we covered Revelation a few months back, but you look at Revelation and there starts to be some some serious end times persecution where there's a hostility to the people of God. And so you just got to be prepared. Even in our nation, I've seen a change. You know, we started out with founders praying and including God in everything. And now we're kicking God out of schools and we're kicking God out of so many things in our society. Uh, I don't believe that's the heart of most Americans, but I believe there's agenda to remove God. And Jesus talks about that today. So you have to be prepared for this kind of stuff. Um, some of the countries, as you see leading in that, you know, um, in, in martyrdom, that's why they watch and they try to monitor that and try to get some intervention and we should be praying. We have a friend, uh, I won't say his name, he's from Iran and um, he's a great guy. He was raised over there, lived over there and he was a, a believer. Um, and I would say when you're a believer, you could be a, a passive believer who's not very engaged, almost like a video game playing kind of believer. 
or you can be a Super Bowl kind of believer. And I trust we all want to be Super Bowl kind of believers. I mean, ideally, in our following Jesus and our passion, in our love for him and how God uses, I, I hope we at least aspire to be on the field at whatever capacity Jesus has for us. Well, he was doing that over in Iran in a very simple, humble way. He, um, he would have one or two people over at his apartment. He had a family, wife and kids. He had a carpentry business with like 20 employees building cabinets. And he'd have one or two people over his place and they would pray very quietly. They would do a Bible study very quietly. And they might even try to sing a hymn at a very low level. And one day, boom, the door gets kicked in. And him and his wife and his children get grabbed and all get brought off to jail. And they're out there in jail. They separate him. He has no idea what's going on. He's in there for three months being treated cruelly and being questioned. And finally, it gets to a point where they just tell him, spur of the moment, we're letting you out, but your court date is next week. So he gets out and he goes home. He has no idea where his family is, if his family's still in jail. His family's at home. And he says, we're leaving tonight. Tonight we're leaving. So they head up to Turkey and they were able to come over here to America and he's serving God here in America today, working for the studios, uh, doing carpentry and it's amazing. He's an amazing guy. But I think about, we don't know his kind of world and yet there are millions of Christians that live in that kind of world. And so this stuff is a reality. Um, I, want, I want to ask you this question because I, I think it's something we need to take to heart. We need to weigh this out. This is the challenge for you this morning. If there's one thing you think about maybe through the week, I want to challenge you with this. If you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? If you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence for them to convict you? Now, we might say, well, I don't want to be convicted. Uh, Yeah, we don't want to be convicted, but the point is this. In this climate, if we're a passionate Christ follower, would there be enough evidence to convict you? And I'm not talking about, I'm talking about real evidence, hard evidence. I'm not talking about how many Bibles you own. I'm not talking about what kind of bumper stickers you have on your car. I'm talking about real evidence of being a Christian. Jesus said you will know them by their fruit. So in other words, if they brought in your neighbors and your coworkers or people from the gym or Trader Joe's or people that know you, ladies, people from the salon, people from wherever you know, whatever your circles are, and say, tell me, are they a real Christian or not? Boom. What are they going to say? Would they have enough evidence to convict you? I asked myself the same question. I challenged that this morning because Jesus is kind of going the same way. He's going, he's taking the believers in a deep discipleship step. And this is important, guys, because it's almost like military. If you, if you uh, played video games about military, and we're, there's a spiritual war going around us. It, it, and Christianity is just not all just happy kumbaya all the time. There's spirit, has anybody encountered spiritual warfare, which is aggressive and it's, it's real and you can't dodge it and you have to confront it. And the Bible says it, we will have these battles. So you have to be prepared. And if we've only played video games, you get out there, you take a shot. Some people have a hard time getting up again because they were never prepared for it. So in boot camp, you know what they do in boot camp? They give you real live rounds. They give you real, there's real bombs going off. You hear the real sound. So when it happens, you're like, I get this. They told me this was coming. And then you could be victorious in your environment. And Jesus is saying the same thing. There's some tough stuff specifically for the early church, but for other believers around the world. And for you, you have your areas of pushback as well as you're trying to take ground and there's people pushing back against you. 
And there's a spirit behind what's pushing back against you. And you have to be prepared because that's the only way to be victorious. And so uh, would there be enough evidence to convict us? That's a valid question. And so um, let's jump in today's passage. Uh, Jesus is preparing the disciples because they're going to be going out on mission. And he's been with them for a while. He's been teaching them, training them, and they are learning a lot of great, great things. Um, he's been teaching all kinds of things. We did the Sermon on the Mount. So these guys are on this download from Jesus. They're getting all this, the New Testament, the New Covenants being rolled out. And they're just, this is awesome, right? Okay, this is amazing revelation from God. And they are being changed by what they are being taught. So Jesus is the teacher and they're being taught. However, however, Jesus knows some things can be taught, but there are other things that must be caught there's some things you can learn in a classroom setting, and we just had our leaders meeting yesterday with um, 16 of our amazing leaders, and we kind of went through this, but I want to share this principle with you guys that, that some things you just have to catch it. It's not a matter of being taught. You, you can get the knowledge like the video game. You can go to the class and learn the thing, but unless you step out and get any experience on the field, you really have no idea. You've never even tried it out. Principles of faith, promises of God, you get the principle of it, you get the idea, but unless you've ever stepped into it, it's hard to really know that it is true. God said it, I believe it, and God will meet me. And he said, you won't really know that. So some things are taught and some things are caught, and that's what he's about to tell these guys. If you're a note taker, why don't you write that one down today? We're looking at a few key steps of what it takes for you to be bold and how God prepares you to be bold in a world where there's pushback. The first one is, for Christ followers, some things are taught, but other things have to be caught. Other things are caught, and they're caught by experience. And when you step out into ministry, when you start serving in a church, for example, or start serving in a community, you have to trust God. Some things are caught. When you start sharing your faith, some things are caught. You can learn about the ideas, but until you step into it, you don't start catching this stuff. Jesus was the greatest world changer in the history of this planet. And the next greatest world changers in the history of the planet were the 12 disciples. He sent these guys out. The world's been changed. The world's been changed ever since. So he's preparing these guys. And it's not just what they're being taught. It's what they're about to catch. And that's why he's got to tell them about some of this brutal reality, about some of this uh, stuff that they're going to encounter. So... um, We're going to run into obstacles in our culture, too. We don't run into the same kind of obstacles they ran into. Uh, You might run into obstacles, and I don't mean to minimize it because this kind of stinks sometimes. You do a Facebook post or a social media post, and someone's like, "Eh, I don't like that. Anybody ever have that? Uh, They don't like your post, right? It kind of stinks, right? Whatever. How about they take it a step further, and they unfriend you? Ooh. Anybody ever get unfriended? I mean, that's messed up because you, you post something about your faith, and somebody unfriends you. That is really messed up. But it hurts, right? It hurts. It hurts when somebody... Here's the deal. If somebody said in response, I'm an atheist, would you unfriend them? Of course not. I'm atheist. I'm like, not, I wouldn't unfriend. I'd invite them over for dinner. I'd be more of a friend to them if I knew that. That's the way we respond. But some people, faith, and there's a hostility. There's a pushback. We're going to see today that there's something behind that. It's not just the person. There's something behind the pushback that you, you receive. And the early disciples were in a much more hostile climate than we were. They were in Roman Empire, zealous Judaism, where they took it into their own hands, where they're taking out God's judgment on people, even though they were ill-informed. 
and they were not lined up with the Spirit. They took their zeal in an intense way, and they took it against the believers. So we're going to cover a big section. I'm going to read it kind of quick here. We're going to look at sections. Uh, Matthew 10, we're picking up in verse 17. This is where we ended last week, and it starts like this. It says, be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils uh, and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. Uh, but when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking uh, through you. So Jesus here isn't just talking about their next little mission trip he's sending them out on. Uh, this is really for all people that step out to, to serve Jesus. This is all future ministers that step out around the globe. He's talking about some of the stuff that you're going to have to encounter. We see a lot of this coming up in the book of Acts, played out exactly what he's talking about here, and it really culminated to 70 AD. There was a lot of this going on that Jesus is talking uh, about here, and some will be hostile to the gospel. Some people will simply be hostile to the gospel. They will be, and we have to expect that. Um, And that's what he's telling them when, when you go out to be wise as serpents and gentle as doves that we have to be wise. We don't check our brain at the door. We, we kind of see if there's a hostility. We don't run into a hostility. The scripture is going to say in a minute, if you can avoid the hostility, you do it. But you be bold in your faith. But when you see hostility coming, how many times did we see Jesus speaking and the crowd, some crowds were falling in love with him and following him everywhere, but some religious leaders were starting to pick up stones, right? And Jesus would find a way to slip out of the crowd. We see the Apostle Paul doing the same thing. He's in Damascus, and they're trying to get him. They lower him from a basket. You guys remember that? So they're bold in their faith, but when hostility comes, they don't run into the hostility. They are wise as serpents and and gentle as doves. And our hostility is not physical. When we're dealt with physical hostility, we don't take physical hostility back. It's a spiritual war, Jesus says, it says, put away your sword when it comes to that. It's not that kind of battle. And so uh, we see this with uh, Jesus. He did this. We see this with uh, Peter and John, uh, early book of Acts. These guys are healing a guy. They're like, what's going on? They drag him in front of the religious leaders, and they testify. They testify before the religious leaders. Jesus was brought before Pontius Pilate. He's testifying and telling him what truth is. We see this with the Apostle Paul many times before the religious leaders and the governors of Rome. He's dragged before them and he's testifying. Uh, And so through the faith and through the persecution, he's putting them in circles that they would never normally be in, which is pretty amazing. But here's what's cool about it. He's saying, don't worry about what you're going to say. Because for a lot of people, that's their greatest fear. I I like the idea of sharing faith. I I like the idea of representing Jesus, but... What if I get challenged or what if there's, I, I don't really know what to say. And that's, that's, a, that's a, a fear that many people have. It might be an unspoken fear, but it's a fear like, what if I don't have the answer or what if they start asking me about this or what if they, I don't know what I'm going to say. I get it. I get it. And it's good to be prepared in scripture and through prayer and kind of get prepared so you're able to give a reason for what you believe. However, in the meantime, Jesus is saying, you don't need to be afraid about this. Here's what's cool. I see you, I see you. And when you're in a situation where you're being challenged in any kind of way, he's like, you're gonna get to experience. Remember some things are taught and some things are caught, right? Here's what's gonna happen. When you're in that situation, I see you, my Holy Spirit is gonna speak through you. 
Now, you will never experience what that's like until you step out onto the field. You, you learn about it in a classroom, and you go, I, I think he will. I mean, it says he will. I hope he will. I don't know if he will. I, I don't know. But when you step out on the field, then you're going to find that God does, in fact, do what his word says, and the spirit will speak through you, and you'll be speaking um, literally inspired by God. God sees you, and he will use that moment, and you'll come home going, wow, that really is true. There's some things I was taught, other things I was I was caught. And so you have to realize that God does this stuff. Second point this morning is this, is that where God guides, God provides. Where God guides, God provides. If the Spirit is really leading your life, and that's my prayer, is that the Spirit would begin to lead you and you'll get some direction from the Holy Spirit where he's going to, you know, uh, there'll be a voice behind you telling you which way to go. Walk in it, Scripture says. He's our counselor. He's our comforter. He, he leads. He guides. He comforts. He counsels. He speaks. These are all scriptural realities of the Holy Spirit. And if you are led by God's Spirit, where he guides, he provides. You have to know that. Even if we think, oh no, what am I going to do? If God's guiding, God's going to provide. You have to know that. Uh, People who have walked with Jesus a long time will tell you that is true. They won't just tell you it's true because they learned it in Scripture. They'll say, I learned it in Scripture, and then I experienced it. Some things are taught. Some things are caught. When you start catching this stuff, you're ready for the pushback. When pushback comes your way, you're ready. You're like, I get this. I'm going to stand. I get this. I've caught this before. I already, I get this. And if we don't ever step out onto the field, we we don't even know what it's like. The first time we get tackled, we're like, oh, I don't like contact. Or, you know, that guy pushed me. Should I tell the referee? What what should I? It's like, no, it's, there's contact. In in the spiritual realm of our walk, uh, there is contact. And so we have to not be surprised about this. And then he goes on, excuse me, verse 21 He goes on and he talks about, this is a very intense part of Israel's history. There's some very zealous Judaism. You also see this in Islamic nations too uh, in the uh, the East uh, where when faith comes up in Jesus, there's an extreme hostility uh, to the family. And Jesus is saying, I just want you to be prepared. Here's some of the kind of stuff that is gonna go down because there's a hostility to the gospel sometimes. Verse 21, he says, Brother will betray brother to death and father his child. Children will bell against their parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by everyone because of me. Uh, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And when you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Truly I say to you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. And this seems like 70 AD when Jesus came with judgment on Jerusalem. That seems like the timeline here. And we see all of these things happening in that level of intensity prior to 70 AD. Uh, Specifically, it also happens around the world. And we'll also see that kind of concept in the end times this kind of intensity, but it seems to be what he might be referring to is in that window of time um, as, as a focused um, approach. Then it goes on in verse 24, it says, a student is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. Um, it is enough for students to be like their teachers and servants like their masters. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household? Uh, he's talking about here, Jesus is our master, and we're learning from him. He's our Lord. That's what Lord means, right? We follow the master. We follow the leader. But he's also talking about the devil. He's got some people following him. And this is my observation. There's a lot of people following the devil who don't even know they are. They're following out of complete ignorance. Like if you ask them, 
Do you have any allegiance to the devil? They'd be like, no, I don't even believe in the devil. But the fact is, by the very nature of what they do, it's like puppet strings. They are, in fact, under his realm and his reign and doing his, his kind of work. And that's what Jesus is saying right here. Uh, and he elaborates on the hostility that comes because the devil goes around like a roaring lion seeking to devour who he may. And Peter says, be on your guard. He almost took me out before. I wasn't looking. He knocked me down like getting on the football field. I wasn't ready for it, but I'm ready now. And he's telling all the believers, guys, be, just be prayerful and watchful. Just be on your guard. And when you've done everything to do to stand, you keep standing because this is a reality. You don't want to get knocked down and, and not see it coming. So he's preparing them. And then he goes on to say, um, verse 26, so do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight, and what is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs on your head are all numbered, um, so don't be afraid, and you are worth more than all of these sparrows. So he's telling them, guys, this persecution in this context of sharing faith to the world, we're the called out ones, Jesus, the church is the called out ones, but the called out ones are also the sent ones, we're the called out ones and the sent ones, that's who we are, just like the early disciples, But when we go out there, people will accept and some people will reject, but then some actually get hostile. And he's saying, know that it's it's not just them, it's what's behind them. Anyone opposed to Christ, anyone stopping a work of Christ or trying to stop a work of Christ is anti-Christ by definition. Anti means opposed, opposite. Anyone who's opposed to Christ is anti-Christ. They might not say they're antichrist, but by definition, if they're stopping a work of Christ, that is antichrist. And we saw last week that when you go to share faith and you go to a town or a place or anything, you find that the person of peace. You find somebody who's like, yeah, sure. And they they allow you access. The Bible says that's how you approach sharing faith. If people are hostile, the Bible says don't cast your pearls before swine. You don't just keep trying and making people matter and getting in an argument with them. That's not what we do. Wise as serpents, gentle as doves. You find the person of peace, and that's where you approach sharing faith with. Some will accept, some will reject. Jesus said, guess what? They did the same thing to me. They said, if they rejected me, they're gonna, some are gonna reject you too. But he's, 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 he's letting us, uh, he's reminding us here to, to not live in fear of opposition, of pushback not live in fear, that we, he's telling us to be bold, that this stuff will come or may come in a lot of different ways. It happens around the world way more intense than America. But many of you feel that sharing your faith is something that, that you have a fear or a concern or maybe a lack of boldness. Because you're concerned that there might be pushback, there might be some kind of persecution, there might be, you know, for good reason, you think these things. But Jesus is like, listen, don't shrink back. I am with you. I will speak through you. Jim Elliott, who is an amazing missionary to Ecuador, um, he's got a lot of great quotes. He was, he was actually killed on a missions trip, and he was killed by a cannibal tribe. Um, after he was killed, his wife ended up flying back into this community <clears throat> to, to minister to the people who killed her husband, which is pretty profound, um, <clears throat> Elizabeth Elliott. But this is what Jim Elliott said. 
I love this quote. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no, no fool to give what you cannot keep to gain what you cannot lose. Jim Elliott's a guy who understands, I'm gonna share this free gospel, I'm gonna give it away because I can't keep it, I gotta give it away, but they can't take, um, uh, I, who, who, who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And he just lived his life that way. He lived his life that way. And as a result, this tribe who killed Elizabeth Elliot's husband ended up seeing this kind of love of people to come in in response to that and not come in with machine guns and try to, t- you know what I mean? Like not fight that kind of war, but love people and try to lead them through their ignorance. It changed this entire, this entire tribe and the rest is history. And so uh, that's just important to, to, to note. But um, here, here's, here's an important one, guys. Verse 32, this is important because in America today, it seems like we have, um, not everyone all the time, but it seems like there's, there's, there's kind of, it's in the air. We have kind of like the light version, the light version of Christianity. Not everybody all the time, not all, but it, it just seems to be, when I read scripture, I read the book of Acts, I hear what's happening around the world, it seems like we have the light version. Like when you download a software, you can get the full version, right? It's got all the bells and whistles, it does everything, or you can get the light version. And the light version, it, it does something, but it just doesn't do everything. It, well, it's not capable, it just can't really do it. And it seems like in America, there, we have a little bit of the light version, and, and here's something that Jesus is telling believers like you and me, and for many of you, this is the, the, the reality of the scripture. The scripture has the power to comfort the afflicted, but it also has the power to afflict the comforted. Uh, when, when people are so soft in their faith to the point where they're not effective, they're not on the field, and they're not stepping into, Jesus is like, I think you need a little affliction to kind of understand the magnitude. And then some people that are walking out afflicted, Jesus is like, no, 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 peace be with you. And he wants the comfort. And so a passage like this applies to you and I, but some of you in the room, you might, you might find this a challenging passage. This might sound harsh, but listen to what he says. He's got a couple of really profound things to say here. You might want to underline in your Bible, verse 32, whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge <clears throat> before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Wow. Does it really mean that or does it mean something else? It means that. You see, if Jesus is our Lord, that means he's our king. It doesn't mean he's a good miracle worker guy who we kind of like his philosophies and teachings, you know? That'd be one level. But if he's our Lord, that he's our king, that we we take direction from him. And, And if we take direction from him and he is our Lord, if we've got ourselves off the throne and put him on it, then, then we have to acknowledge the one that we promoted in our life. We have to acknowledge the one that we made Lord. And he said, if you acknowledge me before others, I'm gonna acknowledge you before my Father and the angels in heaven. Another, uh, the other gospels say, but if you don't, I won't. And that sounds harsh, but he's saying, I'm either your Lord or I'm not. I mean, am I or aren't I? That's really the question. See, in America, we've kind of pitched it this way, that if you say this magic prayer, you add Jesus to your backpack, you have eternal life, you've got like insurance and you're good, just go on kind of living your own life the way you did, you added Jesus, added, added value to your life. And Jesus is like, no, that, that's not actually what I offered in scripture. I said, turn and follow me, turn and follow me, walk with me, I'm gonna make you into something. 
and they acknowledged him as the Lord of their lives. These guys were living it out. They're down on the field. That's the kind of faith we see in the Bible and in the book of Acts. But we have a different version now. Just, just, just say the magic prayer. Everything's good, and everyone go back to what you were doing and you know, live happily ever after. And Jesus is talking about acknowledging. So as Christians, we have to be willing, listen, we have to be willing to confess Jesus publicly. We have to. This isn't Pastor Brian's idea or concept or something I'm trying to present. This is a scriptural reality. These are the words of Jesus. Uh, as, a Christian, as Christians, we have to be willing to confess Jesus before people. When Jesus comes up, it can't be like, yes, Jesus. Again, I brought this up before, but I, I love how effective it was. A friend of mine, he, he does ministry on the west side. Uh, his sons were playing football, speaking of football, uh, peewee football for little kids. I don't know. They were probably like seven or eight years old, but um, they're playing football, and he said, yeah, we got to go to church, you know, something about, you know, Christians or Jesus or something. And the kid goes on, a, uh, on the team, goes, what? Did you say Jesus? And he's like, yeah, dude, you don't know Jesus? Come on. It's like, what's wrong with you? And the kid's like, I'm sorry. I, no one told me. And, and, and the kid completely, rather than challenging Jesus, was like, oh, the kid was on, because the young boy who had a relationship with Jesus was like, are you kidding me? You don't know Jesus? How could you not know Jesus? And to see that beautiful, raw transparency in sharing faith, I think people are like, oh, I didn't know about that kind of Jesus. And people need to know about that kind of Jesus. So as Christians, we have to do this. And, and if we're not... Um, if we will not be public about our allegiance to him, we can't expect him to be public about his allegiance to us. That's what Jesus is saying in this passage. And it's pretty, it's some of the tough statements of Jesus. We've got some beautiful statements and loving statements and mercy statements of Jesus. And then we have some tough statements of Jesus and we can't like erase them out of the Bible. So he's saying, am I your Lord? If I am, confess me. Don't, don't be afraid to say you represent. Don't, don't do that because it, cause, cause it goes hand in hand. Uh, there's no such thing as a secret Christian, Jesus is saying. There's no such thing as a secret Christian. Um, and so now he takes them through uh, this last section right here, and um, this is a section uh, where he's talking about, again, he, he talks about this intense persecution, and the early church saw this clearly. These guys were about to step out into this world. Um, again, Islamic countries in the East, when people come to faith, they're like, what, no way, disowned, kicked out of the family. I mean, like, it's major. Um, when it comes to faith and the family and the fallout. And also we know in end times, again, in end times in Revelation, it talks about a really brutal uh, uh, reality of, of hostility towards faith. And right now, we're not living in it right now. Although there's a, there's a slow wave coming against the people of God and Christianity in the public forum. There's a slow wave, and a lot of times Christians are way too quiet, way too silent. We live in a democracy where it's we the people, of the people, by the people, for the people. And we the people, if we have a conviction for Jesus Christ, in this democracy, you gotta be able to speak up. This is not a time to shrink back. This is a time to step up, pray up, speak up, love up. We're not hostile, but we're in love with Jesus. And we don't need to apologize about that. It's almost like there's coming out parties for everyone except for the church. When's the church having a coming out party? When is the church having a coming out party? Have you had a coming out party? Have you had a coming out party? You might need to. Start in your workplace. Maybe you need to have a coming out party. Maybe in the neighborhood. Throw a little block party for your friends. And by the way, I love you because God loved us first. And boom, I'm worth putting on the burgers. Come on, let's sell it. Huh? Coming out, man. Coming out. 
It's time to go public. It's time to get on the field. Some things are taught. Some things are caught. And Jesus is like, if you would step into this, I'm going to do stuff through you that you don't even know about yet. And this is where it goes. So anyway, back to this level that they were dealing with there. It says this in verse 34. uh, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Now, he is the prince of peace, but there's conflict to the hostility of the gospel. That is for sure. For I have... Uh, come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against his mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and any, um, anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Now, you've seen this come up before in Scripture, the rich young ruler. Oh, Jesus, you're awesome. Well, great, follow me. Uh, no, I got family, I... Me and my family, we're first. I, I can't follow you because I got my family's number one. She's like, okay, I hear you. Go home to your family then. You're not a follower. And that, that's kind of like, well, which way? It doesn't mean you leave your family. You love your family. You serve your family. Jesus doesn't want to divide families. Don't misinterpret the context of the scripture. But when it comes to faith, some are like, no, what will my cousin think? What will my parents think? What'll my, and because of that, they say no to Jesus. And some say yes, and families get very, depending on your background and your culture. Uh, I know me, I had a Catholic background, and um, you know, I wasn't really going to church. As a kid, we did when we were real little, but you know, in my life, I'd, I'd never read the Bible. And when I came to faith, when I uh, was around 25, I'm starting to read the Bible, and I'm like, this is legit, it's real, and God is showing me he's alive and calling me into personal relationship. And he, he changed my life. And I remember going back and sharing this with my family. And I'm thinking like, wait a second, you can never stop being Catholic. Anybody relate to that at all? Anybody? Re- okay, so there is, it's not the level of persecution we're dealing with here, but there's like, wait a second, it feels like you're betraying the family name, right? To family it does, that's what it feels like. And so you get a little taste of this. But in other cultures, maybe if you were from a Jewish background, you accepted Christ. They're like, well, wait a second, you can't do that. So there can be some, some tension, and Jesus is sharing um, these tensions here. And then he goes on to say this one, you want to underline this too, because these are like the, the, the right-left combos of what Jesus is saying. He's like, please get this, please get this. Verse 38, whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Wow. Anyone who welcomes you welcomes me, and anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward, and whoever welcomes a righteous person as a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones, uh, who, who is my disciple, truly I tell you uh, that that person will certainly not lose their reward. So he's reminding us to put him first, even if family gets in the way, that God's gotta be first. We can't say, sorry, God, my mom doesn't want me to put you first. My dad might get upset. We, we can't operate that way. We gotta put God first. And around the world, there's a lot of hostility to that. Maybe not in your home, but it's a reality historically. And then he said, if we're really following, we got to pick up our cross. Now, here's the thing about 
the light version of Christianity is just say a magic prayer and everything's good. Just go on with your life and live happily ever after. You got heaven, you're golden. And Jesus is like, yeah, that's not actually what I said. What I said is pick up your cross and follow me. That's a whole different kind of message, isn't it? A little bit different message. And what this simply means is the cross is a symbol of you know, going to the hill and dying. And he doesn't want you to die physically, but spiritually, the only way you can be born again and made new is saying, I'm dying to myself and I want to make you Lord. I want your life to be in me. And he's like, that's what it, he told Nicodemus that at night. What, what do I got to do to enter into this kingdom that you're offering? It's basically you got to die so you can live again. And that's what the cross is symbolic of. And Christians have the cross flying around all over the place, but I don't know that everybody knows what it means. It means that, yeah, I'm going to pick up mine and follow you. And that's not like some lame life where like everything is lame and this is so hard. It doesn't mean that. He doesn't walk walking around. I mean, the fruit of the Spirit is the joy of the Lord. We're not supposed to walk around with this crazy, but we are supposed to work, walk around with this heart condition that I am not my own. I was bought with a price. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but it is he who lives in me in the life I now live. I live by faith in the Son of God who died and gave himself for me. I I don't just read it, I I believe it. And that's the difference, what I'm saying, the light version and like the real version. The early believers are like, no, that's the only version. And some are like, no, I haven't been crucified with Christ. I said a prayer, added Jesus to my backpack. I didn't die to myself. I don't want to die to myself. I want to do all my own stuff and live the way I always did. I just want to add Jesus. Jesus is like, I, never, I didn't offer it that way. The way I offered it is, is this way, is, is that if you take up your cross and follow me, awesome. But if you don't, you're not worthy of me. And if you find your life, you've got to lose it. You've got to lose it before you can find it. And so, you know, he's sharing this all here. And then he, then he goes on to say, whatever you did for the least of these, you did to me. Here's the thing, guys, whatever you deal with in life, and this would be great if the worship team comes up, but um, whatever you do in life, the persecution you deal with, the Lord says, I got that, I'm gonna handle that. How many of you know that life is really, really short and eternity is really, really long? You realize that? We, we forget it every day, I think. Life is really, really short. Eternity is really, really long. And Jesus says, whatever you go through, whatever pushback, whatever hostility comes against you, be bold, I'm gonna meet you where I guide you, I'm gonna provide. Some things are caught, taught, others are caught, and the only way you're gonna grow is if you catch some of this stuff. However, any opposition that comes against you, I see it, and I'm gonna deal with everything. Everything is gonna come into the light, and there'll be a judgment for all that kind of stuff. But in the meantime, in the meantime, all the good you do also for others, that's all gonna be rewarded too. When you give a cup, when you help somebody, when you further the kingdom, when you get in the game, Jesus is saying get in the game. And I would encourage everyone in here, if you're, if you're learning about Jesus, this is beautiful, whether Jesus is new to you or you've been learning about him for a while, this is wonderful, or you're growing even stronger, maybe for many years with a deep understanding of scripture, that's awesome. But at some point, we got to move from being taught to being caught, and we got to start stepping into. And the way we do that is we trust when we step out. And so I would encourage you guys that if you're not stepping into it, you're only being taught it, and things aren't being caught, and some of the best stuff in your life is going to be caught. Some of the best stuff, epic things, adventures, things you share with others, the stories you're going to have for the rest of your life, or, or you caught this, you experienced it is in you, and it comes out as part of who you are, because like... God means it when he says this. I mean it because let me tell you what he did in my life. And you begin to share this as part of your story because you, you caught it. 
It wasn't just because someone taught it to you as important as that is. Jesus says, I I can use you and do greater things in your life. You can walk in greater purpose. You can walk in greater destiny. You can be a world changer if you're willing to catch some things. And you don't catch them all before you step out. As you step out, you begin to catch these things. When you read the book of Hebrews and you read the hall of fame of all these people with faith, they weren't people all laying back, playing it safe. They were like, Jesus is calling me on the field. I'm gonna get down on the field. And And along the way, they caught a lot of things, a lot of faith, and they, they learned what this stuff is about. They have a story to tell that's living on beyond them and beyond their years. Their stories live on for God's glory, and God wants that for you in your life. You were made for great things. You were made to be a world changer. You weren't made to just exist and hold on and God just let me get by until you come back. No, that's not the prayer of the early church. No one had that prayer in scripture. Let me just hold on, Lord, till you get back. I'm holding on with my knuckles. I'm trying to make, no, that's not the prayer. You're more than a conqueror. You're more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus and he, he wants you to walk in his power but to step out into his work and that's where you start catching a bunch of stuff and opposition will come. And like a football game, you're moving it down the field, first down, first, and guess what? Poof, you get knocked back a little bit, and you get knocked back, and sometimes you feel like you got a punt. That's for that set of downs. But we win the war, guys. We know we win the war. He already says we do. We win the game. Do you realize that? The overall game, we win the game. You're a winner. You got to get on the field. And so I just want to, uh, last point to write down, if you want to write this one down, is that the God who calls you is the God who equips you. The God who calls you is the God who equips you. The one who calls you into this race, the one who calls you into the field, you're not ready to be on the field. No one's ready to be on the field. You can study, you can learn, you think you're ready. You don't really know. I didn't know, no one really does, but you get on the field and along the way, when you're getting some live training on the field, uh, this is where Jesus begins to show you and equip you and he equips the ones he calls as we step into his work. So I'm going to close in prayer, but I want to ask God to seal some of these things in our heart that we would just understand the magnitude of what we're called to, that we wouldn't shrink back from fear when there's opposition, that, that he would, if, if you're the kind of person you don't feel like you have a lot of boldness, you're just not a bold person by nature, that's okay. The early church was filled with people like that. And that's why we have to ask God to give us a boldness because boldness is not a personality style. Boldness is a gift from God. Boldness is a work of the Holy Spirit. In the upper room, there's 120 men and women up there praying. They were not a bunch of bold people. And the Holy Spirit said, if you want boldness, keep praying. Watch what I'm going to do. And they prayed, and the Spirit of God gave them a boldness. And then they went out, and they were world changers. So this is not a personality style. This is not, it's not who I am. It's not about that. It's about who he is. And it's about what he's calling you to and what he's calling me to. So let's close in prayer and ask God to, to do a work in our hearts. Mighty God, we love you. We thank you for your word and the power of it. And I just pray for everyone in here, Lord. There's some tough things in this passage, Lord, about the hostility in the world to the message. Uh, but at the same time, there's an open door and the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. And you're calling many people in your kingdom. There's many people waking up to your love every day. We've well, got friends, family, and neighbors all around us. Some of them are so ready. They're just waiting to be asked. But Lord, you want us to step into, the, into your work. You want us to step into serving you. And uh, I just pray for everyone in this room, Lord, that we would we begin to say, where are you calling me to step in? Because I've been being taught, but now it's time for things to be caught. And I just pray that we would be willing to do that. I also pray for a boldness, God. 
uh, a boldness, Lord God, that some people are so bold about what they stand for and what they believe, and sometimes Christians are very uh, passive and overly cautious. And um, you do not give us a spirit of fear or timidity. You give us a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. So I just pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that, Lord, everybody here, everybody hearing this would say, Holy Spirit, fill me with a boldness. You did it to the early church. Do it for me. I believe you made me for such a time as this. I believe you've called me out so that I could be sent out wherever that is, even if it's to the next cubicle over or across the street to a neighbor. It doesn't have to be around the world. But I pray you would give me a boldness to do what I don't feel like I can do on my own. Just honest transparency, God. I don't feel like I have it, but I need it from you. I know you have it. You've been equipping and empowering people for a couple of thousand years, and I pray you would do it for me, God. Equip me, Lord. Empower me. Show me where to take my steps of faith. Show me how to step out of the service to you. And Lord, I want to be a world changer. I might not know how to, but you do. And I pray that I'd be one of those people that you would speak through me. And I'd have all these awesome God stories, epic adventures of what God did when I was ready to step out into this. We thank you for what you're doing in our life and be glorified. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, guys. Hey, um, prayer team's coming up here. You need a prayer for anything, any need, burden, request, physical, uh, financial. This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit us at valleymetrochurch.com. 